Heavenly Father, you are good, and your steadfast love endures forever. And on this day where we celebrate good fatherhood, we praise you. We thank you for the ways that fathers and father figures have cared for us, have nurtured us, have uh, provided for us and protected us, have, have, have helped us to grow and to learn and trained us in skills and in your way, O oh Lord. We thank you for the ways that those things are a sign of your love for us. We pray that everyone here and in Winona and throughout the world might come to know you as not only a good father, but the best father. The one who is always attentive to our needs, the one who always wants the best things for us. The one who's good all the way to the core will offer anything you have so that we can abide in relationship with you and with our neighbors well. We pray, Lord, for all of the requests that we have lifted up to you. You have heard them, and you know each need. We pray, O oh Lord, that you as physician, as healer, as protector and sustainer would care for each of these things that we've named, and for those that have remained unnamed in our hearts. We pray, O oh Lord, that in every station, with every trial, with every trouble, we would learn more what it is to trust you and to find comfort in the presence of your Spirit as we abide with you and hold out hope for the day where you will make everything well by the power of your strength. We pray, O oh Lord, for your church. We pray for its leaders. We pray for every member of the church throughout the world, O oh Lord, that we would be mobilized in mission for the sake of your gospel, that we would be equipped to love our neighbors and our enemies as you would have us, that we would be ready to speak the goodness of your gospel to anyone we meet, that we'd be ready to proclaim your name for all of the glory that it deserves, that we would be eager to gather with your people to worship and to praise you, that we'd be eager to study your word and love you with our mind, that we, O oh Lord, would be wholeheartedly devoted to you in every one of our actions. We pray, Lord, that as we prepare for kids to come and to learn about you, to worship you, to fellowship with one another this week, that you would bless our labor, that it would bear good fruit in their lives, not only that they might experience some joy and fun this week, though we desire that, but that, Lord, through this week, you might have your work done that bears eternal significance. We pray that kids might come to know that Jesus loves them and that Jesus equips them to serve him in the world, that Jesus will defend them and that Jesus will honor them, that Jesus says that they belong. We pray, Lord, that Bible school and all the ministries of our church would be oriented towards the mission that you have given to us, that we would be undistracted, that we'd be purposeful and intentional in seeking to do your work, to share your love, and to make disciples. We pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, and deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, 
and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Our scripture passage this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, from the end of chapter 2. Uh, so a couple weeks, for the last couple weeks, we've been looking at Ephesians 2. Uh, in the first part of Ephesians 2, we looked at how God saves us from our sin. We were dead in our sins. We were headed on the wrong track, driven by our desires, the desires of our mind, the desires of our body. And Christ has come and made us alive in Christ Jesus and prepared us, made us capable of doing the good works that he has prepared for us as a way of life for us. And then last week we looked at what it looks like for for Christ to save us not only from our sin, but from our status as Gentiles, that we were strangers and aliens to the promises of God and the people of God, far from God, without God and without hope in the world. And this week we're going to look a little bit more at what it looks like for God to include us into the work that he's doing. So we're going to start in verse 14 of chapter 2. We're going to go through verse 22. Hear this word. For Christ is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to those who were near and to those of you who are far off. For through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me now? O Lord, our God, our good Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word today, that we as your people might hear with joy what it is that you say to us today, that despite ourselves, that despite our sin, you've made space for us in your kingdom, in your family, in your temple. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. When was the the first time that you can think of that you wondered if you belong? When was the first time you wondered, do they really like me? Are they really my friends? Will I be able to make any friends? Was it the first time you went to kindergarten? Was it was it the first time you went to middle school or high school? Was it when your family moved and you left behind everything that you knew and had to start all over? When was the first time you began to think that way? Do they really like me? Or are they just using me? Because I have the newest video game station, or because I have a car, or because I can help them with their homework. Do they really like me, or do they just pity me because no one else likes me? They spend time with me because they know no one else will, and they just feel sorry for me. Will I ever have real friends? Am I actually likable? 
Can anyone ever really just like me for who I am? When was the first time you felt that way? And I wonder when was the last time you felt that way? Because sometimes we act like all of those things ended in high school and we all feel like we belong since then, but I'm not convinced that's the case. I'm convinced that this basic anxiety about belonging has plagued humanity since nearly the beginning of our existence from the first time that Adam and Eve ate of that tree and began to cover themselves with with loose-fitting fig leaves because they were ashamed of who they were as they blamed each other for uh, the mistake that they had made, the disobedience that they had committed against the Lord. I wonder if any of us really feel like we belong all the time. But for those of us who do feel like we belong from time to time, or even most of the time, that can be as dangerous to our souls as feeling like we never belong. And it's dangerous to the community too. Because when we feel like we belong, we're inclined to one of two things. The first one, I think, as common as the second. The first is to feel comfortable. We don't even realize we're in the inside crowd. We just have our friends and we do our thing and we enjoy the people that we're around and they enjoy us and we don't realize that there are people on the outside looking in who wish they could be a part of what it is that we experience. And so unaware of the fact that there are people who feel left out, we just continue on as if they don't matter and they continue to feel like they don't belong and like no one cares for them. We don't have the wherewithal to be actively hospitable to others because we're comfortable with the crew that we have. So sometimes it looks like that comfort that leads to complacence. But there's another kind of belonging that's a little bit more active. That as we sense our place of of privilege and honor and, and being liked, we feel like we have to protect it. And that makes us jealous if it seems like anyone else might be finding their way to belong. We think that if other people come to belong, it threatens our space and our belonging. So, so we become convinced that there's only so much acceptance to go around. We got to keep other people from having it so we can have it for ourselves. And the truth is today that no amount of me insisting to you that your self-consciousness is unwarranted, that people really do like you, that there's nothing wrong with you, is going to take it away. We can sing the shows from the children's songs that tell you that you're special and you're unique and um, that, that you are perfect just the way you are. But even kids know that participation trophies don't mean much if you ask them. Paul does something different than simply say, oh, you are fine as you are. He acknowledges that there is some merit sometimes to our deep-seated conviction that we don't belong, that we are alienated from one another and from God. And he tells us, as he writes to the church in Ephesus, that there are two things that is working against them. There's their sinfulness, that they've acted in a manner disobedient to God. And there's their heritage, that they were born to Gentiles, and therefore they were not a part of the covenants that God has made with God's people to be in relationship with Israel through the ages. They didn't belong because they were sinful, because they weren't born to the right people. And then he makes the turn. He says it's, it's not because you're special or unique or because you're particularly likable, but this is the truth that Jesus makes space for you. 
that Jesus makes space for me through his own flesh, through the cross, where all of us can belong. If it were up to you, you don't fit in in relationship with God and God's people. There might be some truth in the conviction that we don't measure up. but That is only half the truth. And it's not even the most important part of the truth that Paul is trying to communicate to the church. What Paul wants them to see is that in Christ, everything has changed. He says it over and over and over again in the text. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. In Christ, the eternal insider, the the chosen, eternally begotten Son of God, the one who belonged from before the foundations of the world, set aside his belonging and flipped everything upside down. He came to earth to share his love and to save the people, and they rejected him. He was deserted by his friends. He was mocked by the people who should have praised him. He was was made fun of for saying he was king. He was executed in shame outside of town. Jesus found himself not belonging. The one who belongs more than anyone, who deserves all of the praise and glory and honor, is rejected. And this one shows us not only the love of the Father through being willing to endure anything, even that which he does not deserve, to reach us and to save us, but also that humans have been terrible in their judgment for our whole existence. That if we look at Jesus and can reject him, we don't have any sense of who ought to be rejected and accepted. And therefore, we don't have to fear the rejection of our peers because they don't have good taste anyway. And we don't have to fear the rejection of God because even as we kill him, he says, Father, forgive them because they don't understand what they're doing. Even as we reject him, even as we execute him, The love of God persists in making space for us. The very core of the gospel is that you belong, not because you're special, not because you merit it, but because Jesus loves you. He loves you because he made you and he made you in his image and he wants you to look like him. He wants that so badly that he gave himself up for you. And the calling that Paul offers to the church here is to accept their acceptance, to embrace the God who is reaching out to embrace you. He says, you were strangers and aliens, but that is true of you no longer. There was a time where you were unknown and you did not know God. You were strangers to God, but that does not have to be true. There were times where you were aliens, where just because of your constitution, you weren't welcome because you were different. And yet now in Christ, because he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility, you belong. And there are three components to this belonging, as Paul talks about it, that I don't want us to miss today. He says you are citizens with the saints. He says you are members of the household of God. And that you are constructed into the temple, the tabernacle, where God dwells. And all of this mirrors the work that God has been doing with his covenants among his people for generations. 
With Abraham, he promised that Abraham would have a family, right? That he would have an heir and that his seed would become greater than the number of the stars in the sky or the sand on the beach. That that people would become a nation. That nation has a king. That king's name is David. And David has promised that he will rule over that nation for forever. And Moses, who leads Abraham's family out of Egypt and to the promised land, gets a law that includes a lot of description about what it looks like for them to relate to God through the tabernacle and ultimately through the temple. There's a nation, there's a family, there's a temple. These have been the primary trajectory of Israel for a really long time. For all of the covenants that God has made with his people. And in Jesus, God has opened up all of that for you and me as Gentiles to belong. He's made us citizens of the saints. Not just any group that we get included in, but we become a member of the nation of the kingdom of God that is made up of holy people. Righteous people in the eyes of God. God brings us, even though we don't deserve it, to belong in that kingdom. And he brings us into his family, into his household, where God is our good father and Jesus is our brother. And the Spirit provides all of the love that we could need. And he invites us to his family meal where he gives us a seat at the table. And he says, come and be a part of what I'm doing. He makes us citizens with the saints. He makes us members of his household. And he pieces us together in a spiritual dwelling place made up of the people throughout the ages. Don't miss this. That he says Jesus is the cornerstone. Those of you who've worked in construction, the the cornerstone is the last stone you lay, right? The first stone you lay. Well, Jesus wasn't born until the New Testament. Right? But he's the cornerstone. From before the foundations of the world, Jesus has been the square stone around which everything else that God is doing has been built. Even before he was born to Mary, this has been the reality. That Jesus is the cornerstone. And the rest of the foundation is made up of the apostles and the prophets. The apostles are the words we give to the the first Christians who go out as missionaries throughout the whole world. The twelve and Paul and others. So the the members of the New Covenant and the leaders of the Old Covenant, the prophets is one way to describe all of the Old Testament, are knit together as the foundation with Jesus as the cornerstone. And then God continues to build on that. And the great crazy thing Paul's describing here is that he includes Gentiles as he builds this tabernacle, this dwelling place for the presence, the Spirit of God. He's made you citizens of a new kingdom. He's made you members of a new family where you belong. He's put you as a part of the temple where he dwells. You belong with God. And the good thing about God is if God says it, it is true. You can believe it. That this good father is welcoming you into his family. That this good king wants you as a citizen in his kingdom with all of the saints. That he wants you to be a part of the temple where he dwells. One thing you should know as he builds is that though we might have a perfect father, the family is still a little bit dysfunctional. And the the stone that you get placed next to might not be the one that you prefer. And yet, 
This is an integral part of what it looks like for us to be brought into the grace of God. There's no room in Ephesians for me to take my Bible and go home and just to live a life of faith with me and Jesus. In fact, it can seem real easy to conceive of forgiving our neighbors when we don't have to live with them and work with them and be disappointed by them and their sinfulness. Even so, this is what it looks like for God to save us. To bring us as sinners into a community of sinners that he somehow as a master builder takes all of these misfit pieces with Jesus as the cornerstone and the apostles and prophets as the foundation and builds a place where he wants to dwell. You belong. You and anyone who wants to come belong. The, the building is not finished. We're being built into a spiritual dwelling place, it says. Not that it's completed. And this is important because, as I said earlier, when we find ourselves belonging, sometimes we have a tendency to worry that our place is in jeopardy if others find their place as well. In the gospel, this is never true. We can't push others out to make room for ourselves or to make sure that our space remains clear. Whoever God wants to build around us is who we're called to live with and the family and the nation as a temple. You belong. You belong because Christ has gone to extraordinary lengths to make space for you in his own body. That your gifts might be put to work for the building up of the church to bear good eternal fruit, fruit that lasts forever. This is the work of God. And it starts with you accepting that you have been accepted. It starts with you reaching out to the God who's already offering you a warm embrace, saying, yes, Lord, I will take that. This is the gospel. You belong. And God is calling others to belong with you as well. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. We thank you for the conviction that you place in our hearts about our sin, for the distrust that you give us of other people's judgment of us. And we pray, O oh Lord, that we could rest in your judgment of us according to your grace. By your grace, by your unending mercy, by your steadfast love, you've made space for us to belong. And we pray, Lord, that as you give us the confidence that we fit among the citizens of the saints, at the table of the household that you run, in the temple where your spirit dwells and your people can praise you. We could believe that we really do belong there because of what you have done for us. That as we accept that, O oh Lord, you would keep us humble, that you would fill us with hosp hospitality and the same love that drove you to go to any end that you could find us and save us, that it would compel us to, to share the good news with everyone, that there is a place, there is a family, there is a nation, a house of worship where they belong, where they are welcomed, and where you, O oh Lord, can commune with them. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by his cross has broken down the wall of hostility and brought us peace. Amen.